I hope that that you are being blessed by this series. I hope you're beginning to see the truths in the Bible in a different light. I hope that we're beginning to see how interconnected truth is, that God is logical and sequential. I also hope that as you're taking these lessons home with you, that you are continuing your studies to deepen your understanding and to make sure that the pastor is giving you the information, information correctly. Amen? Amen. If you wouldn't trust me with your checkbook, don't trust me with your soul. Make sure to go home and study through the week these materials. Uh, Last week we introduced uh, a subject uh, that really is foundational to the crisis that uh, exploded in our universe and spilled over onto our planet. We learned of the rebellion in heaven that it was over the law of God. And uh, we have more to, sit, to study into uh, today. And once more, this subject is a very important subject to, to each and every one of us. And so I'm going to ask if once more we can, as far as possible, kneel before God as we open into our subject today. Father God, I think about how your people in times of old would kneel before you humbling themselves as they became aware of their their need of you. And we know, Lord, that it really is the only thing that commends us to you is our need. You are a God of love. And we come before you at this hour broken and in need of a Savior. And we have found one in you. We ask for your blood, certainly, Father, to wash away our sin. We thank you for the sacrifice made on our behalf. We thank you for the righteousness extended to us, one that we could never produce on our own. We accept it as our own. Thank you. But Father, we ask for your spirit that you'll be our teacher. Lord, you know how critical this subject is and that our world is about to enter into its final crisis. It's going to be over this. And so I pray that you will give us attentive hearing. Help us to be focused. I pray that all the distractions of Satan will be defeated. If we have our cell phones turned on, may we turn them off at this hour, that we can truly be shut into the secret place of the Most High. Thank you, Lord, for these things. Magnify and glorify your name, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In our studies of the sanctuary, we're learning that the outer court and the holy place teach us how to have a relationship with God. Teaches us how to walk with God in a very practical way. The most holy place, however, opens the door to something different. The most holy place what it does is that it puts this relationship with God in the framework of end-time prophecy. The most holy place opens up to us the final crisis that earth is going to enter into. Last week, we studied about God's holy law. And 
we learned that the Ark of the Covenant was actually a box, a container for God's law. The, the only thing that gives that Ark significance is the law. And that law was strategically placed under the lid, under the mercy seat. And the mercy seat, we learned, represented, symbolized the throne of God. And so the message was clear that the law represented the foundation of God's government. No government will survive without law. No government. All government is based on law. And this is also true of the government of, hev of heaven. It is founded on God's Ten Commandments. To impress upon our minds how important this is, when God was giving uh, direction to Moses regarding the Levitical, the, the, the services of the sanctuary, when it came to the ark and when it came to the law, God did not leave it for Moses to write down the Ten Commandments. At that point, God told Moses to step aside and he wrote it with his own finger. He wanted to make sure that there was no mistake about it. Everyone knew where this came from. It did not come from Moses. It came from God. We learned in our study that the Ten Commandments is actually a transcript of the character of God. What does that mean? It tells us who He is. It tells us what He, what, what he values. And in those, those Ten Commandments, we have a revelation of God. Like God, we studied and learned that those Ten Commandments are unchangeable because God is unchangeable. And yet, we're going to learn in our study today that those Ten Commandments have been tampered with. We're going to go into more depth on this subject in Lesson 16. We're going to look more carefully on how this change came about. I'm going to touch on a little bit here, but we're going to dive into it in Lesson 16. But today we're going to look at the law that has been tampered with, and that is law number we're going to take a look at the Sabbath commandment. I've entitled this talk, The Repairers of the Breach. And this is an allusion to Isaiah 58 uh, because God talked about a generation that would arise to repair the breach, the breach that would take place in God's law. Um. And so at this time, we're going to begin by looking at the forgotten commandment, the Sabbath. Number one, did God make the Sabbath rest only for the Israelites? How many of you hear this, that the Sabbath was made for Jews? You've heard this? Let's see what the Bible says. By the way, you can look up that phrase in your Bible, you will never find it. Mark 2.27 says, And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for Jews. What does it say? For man. And not man for the Sabbath. It's very interesting, by the way. If you have your Strong's Concordance and you want to understand the, uh, the, 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 the word used here, the Greek, you're going to find it in number, in number 444 of the Strong Concordance, and that word is described, 
is defined as mankind. My friends, the Sabbath was made for humanity. It was made for mankind. That's the message from the Bible, and we can trust the Bible. Let's take a look at number two. When did God establish the Sabbath? Genesis 2, 1 and 3 says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. That means he set it aside for holy use. Because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. This is very significant that the Sabbath comes into play long before sin entered our world. Don't let that escape you. That's very significant. That before there was sin, there was the Sabbath. And I, I want to add here also that a thousand years before the Hebrew come onto the scene, the Sabbath is given. You're a little quiet on that one. I remember uh, when I was living in Wilmington, um, that's when I really began with my walk with God and really started studying my Bible. Um, <clears throat> I was working at First Union Mortgage Corporation, and there was a gal that worked there. She was very sweet. I met her husband later. I don't know if you remember them, Sueli, but his name was Jerry. And Jerry was a pastor in, in our community. Uh, I, won't, I won't mention the domination. It's irrelevant. But he and I uh, were both kindred spirits. We loved Jesus, and we loved studying the Bible. And so we would study together, and we, there were a lot of things we agreed upon. There were some things we didn't. And, but it was always uh, amiable, our, our, our relationship. And one of the things we studied was the Sabbath. <clears throat> and of course, Jerry said to me that the Sabbath was for the Jews. I said to him, Jerry, did Adam and Eve keep the Sabbath? He said, absolutely. I said, was, was Adam and Eve, were they Jews? He said, yes. I said, Jerry, if Adam and Eve is the mother and father of our race and they were Jews, what does that make you and me? And so he hadn't really processed this, and that kind of messed him up. Um, he, he started thinking about that. Where does this whole thing of Jew comes from? Let, let me just share it with you in a nutshell here real quick. When King Solomon was king, he, he taxed Israel. Uh, tremendous uh, burden that he placed on the nation. When he died, his son took over Rehoboam, and the nation approached him and said, look, your dad's taxes were heavy. Can you please back off the taxes? And you remember the very young and foolish king said to Israel, hey, you think my dad was bad? Wait till you get a load of me. And at that juncture, the nation separated. Do you remember that? Okay. Now, you remember there were 12 tribes. Uh, and if you were a tribe of, of, let's say, Benjamin, you were a Benjamite, right? And, uh, and, and if you were from Levi, you were a Levite, and so on and so forth. But if you were the, from the tribe of Judah, you were a Jew. When the nation split, ten went north, two went south, Judah and Benjamin. When, after apostasy, the ten nations were taken away, only two tribes remained, Judah and Benjamin. 
Benjamin was a very small tribe comparison to Judah, and over time, Judah absorbed Benjamin, leaving only the Jews. So what are you saying, Pastor? What I'm saying is this. Abraham was not a Jew. Abraham was from Ur of the Chaldees. What did that make Abraham? A Chaldean. He was a Babylonian. God called him out of Babylon. His son, Isaac, was not a Jew. Jacob was not a Jew. In fact, Joseph was not a Jew. Are you with me? The Sabbath was given to humanity long before a Jew stepped onto the field. Very important for us to remember that. Number three, what day of the week is the Sabbath? Genesis 2, 2 and 3 says, and on the seventh day, very good, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed and the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which he had created and made. By the way, don't lose track of of this. It was God's seventh day. Don't miss that. We're going to revisit that. That was God's seventh day. And if you look at our calendar, and I appreciated very much our children's story, but the seventh day is is the day we call Saturday. Very interesting, by the way, you can go as far back as you want in history and the seventh day is Saturday or what we call today Sabbath. You can go as far back as you want. I have noticed, though, over the last 30 years, somebody is tampering with the calendar. Somebody's messing around with it. But our calendar actually comes to us uh, by way of paganism, the, at least the names of the weekly. That, that comes to us from pagan Rome. And, <clears throat> and it's actually named after the various gods that Rome worshipped. For example, how many here have heard of Thor, the, the Norse god with the hammer? Okay, that's where we get Thursday from. Thor's day. That was the day you worshipped Thor. It was Thor's day. Friday, the god Fry, Godfrey. You've heard of the name Godfrey? Okay, there's Friday. Uh, The Romans also worshipped the celestial uh, bodies, and so they they had Saturn Day. That's when you worship Saturn. Then you had Sunday. Then you had Moon Day. Are you with me? And so what we're seeing here is that the names of the week uh, that we use today here in the West actually comes to us by way of pagan Rome. The Hebrew, however, called their weekly cycle entirely different. And it has its origins in creation. Sunday, the fir- that we find that the, the first five days are actually numbers, and only two days have names. The first day of the week was known as day one. Then you have day two then day three, then day four, then day five, and then you have the preparation day, preparing for what? The, the Sabbath. It's very interesting, but in a hundred and diff, over 110 different dialects and languages, the seventh day is known as the Sabbath in, in countries all around the world. Now, if you look at your handout, 
on the very, uh, at the very last page, page 5, I was able to cram in about 65 of them. Okay? But what you're going to find in the 65 is that these are languages from antiquity. These are old languages. And what you're going to find there is that the seventh day is called the Sabbath. What's really interesting is in that in many of these countries, they're not even Christian. In many countries around the world that are pagan, their seventh day is still called the Sabbath. And if you ask them where, they, where that came from, they can't tell you. But it came from creation week. You know, it's very interesting. You know, today, uh, we have a number of things in our, in our universe that affect how we operate here on planet Earth. For example, when the Earth uh, we, uh, rotates one complete rotation, we call that a day. A day. And when the moon comes around the earth one time, we call that a a month. And when the earth goes around the sun one time, we call that a But where do we get a week from? There is nothing in the celestial universe that points us to a week. The only origin that we have comes from creation. Now, what's really amazing when you consider this is that when you look at all the cultures around the world, all in our entire globe, there's only two cultures that don't have a seven-day cycle. The whole world, regardless of their religion, all have a seven-day cycle. Yet there's nothing in the universe that points us to have one. Its origins, dear friend, is in creation. And it's so amazing that even, even though many of these cultures don't know the origin, yet their language still points to the Sabbath because the seventh day is called Sabbath. You know, in, in, in my, I speak Spanish. And, you know, in English, we call the seventh day Saturn Day, Saturday. That's from pagan Rome. Not so in the Spanish. It's Spanish, it's Sabado. It's the Sabbath. I still remember when... Um, I shared with you that we used to be Catholic. We were living in the city of Glendale, and in 1971, we got hit with a major earthquake. Um, I woke up, uh, uh, I was in my bedroom, it hit in the early hours in the morning, and my bed, the ground was just, you know, and my bed was moving all around the room. If that won't give you nightmares, I don't know what will, but there was something under my bed. And um, I remember my, my, my mom at this time does, does, did not speak English. Uh, we hadn't been in, in America for very long. Well, my parents, I was born here. And uh, my mom had a neighbor across the street. Her name was Vidalina. And Vidalina was a, a Sabbath keeper. And my mother was a devout Catholic. Vidalina did not witness to my mother for fear that she would lose her friend because Vidalina also was from Cuba and didn't know English. And so these two made fast friends and uh, they just so relied on each other, but, but Vidalina didn't want to risk the friendship so wouldn't witness to her. Then the earthquake hit. My mother goes running across the street with the kids, me and my, my sister, my brother, and, uh, and says, what in the world was that? You know, is it the end of the world? 
Um, and Vidalina was very calmly said to her, you know, perhaps it is. Jesus is coming. We know that. So my mom was like, what? Wait, he can come now. My kids aren't ready. They haven't grown up. And I, she, I don't know what all crazy stuff she but I remember her saying that. We all ran back to the house. And uh, my mom was upset, but after my mom settled down, she started thinking about it. My mother, though a devout Catholic, loved Christ. And she got to thinking about that and said, wait a second, I want Jesus to come. Then she got to thinking, why was she so calm? She knows something. So she packed up the kids. Across the street, we went again. She knocked on Vidalina's door and said to her, you know something and you're not sharing it with me. So that uh, began Bible studies. And it's really interesting. Uh, when the gal came to our home to study, she asked my mother, what's the first thing you want to study? And my mother, uh, I will never forget what she said. She said, I want to study God's law. If it's important to him, it's important to me. That was amazing. Now listen. I'm a pastor. I have done Bible studies from one end of this continent to the other. I've gone overseas. And I have never heard anyone who has made the request to study God's law first. That was amazing. So anyway, they started studying. They went uh, through commandment one. They went to commandment two. They went through commandment three, and they went to four. My mother held up her hand and said, wait a second. What day is the Sabbath? It's Saturday? Then why are we going to church on Sunday? My mother made a course adjustment and that began our lives as Protestants. The Sabbath, my friends, is a special 24-hour period that God has given to us to build relationship with Him. Do not miss that. We're going to revisit that. The Sabbath is about a relationship. I love the Sabbath. I love to spend time with God uh, and I try to spend time with him each day, but the Sabbath is different because you can just shut out the world on the Sabbath. We can commune together and be a family. I remember when I first started going to church on the Sabbath, I looked around the room and I thought, people that think like me, people that hold the same value because out there it's tough, but it's nice to come in here and worship with people that believe the same. One of the things I enjoy the most besides coming to church is going out into nature. I love spending time with the God of nature. And it's amazing when you spend time with God's creation, the, the, the stress of life just seems to ebb from you when you spend time with him out there. It's a time to spend in, in studying the Bible or in prayer, a time for sharing or visiting others. You know what I have found? I found it to be a real special time for fasting. I don't view fasting as something gloomy. I, some people got that in their head. I guess they're really hungry. But, but to me, when, when I decide to fast, it's because I realize that I have a special need to tune in to God's frequency. And what better day to do it when it's a day that is so totally dedicated to Him, a day where I'm surrounded with like-minded people, a day when I get to be in the Word and to hear it, and it's a day when I don't have to go to, you know, out there to work, whatever, and I can just commune with God. Are you with me? It is a very special time. Let's continue. Number four. <clears throat> How has God <clears throat> demonstrated the importance of his holy Sabbath? Well, Exodus 28 and 11, it says, 
the first word is what? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Let me pause right there. By the way, the mere fact that it begins with the word remember implies that God had already communicated it sometime earlier. There are people that say, oh, the, the, the Ten Commandments came into being on Sinai. Not true. No, did not. No, they came prior. And that word remember is an indicator to us that God had communicated it sooner. And of course, we saw that in Genesis. Remember the Sabbath day to, look at the next word. What is that? Keep it holy. The Lord did what? He blessed the Sabbath day and he did what? He hallowed it. Isn't it curious that somehow the Christian world has managed to forget the one commandment that God said don't forget and it's the one that God made holy and he blessed. So God did away with the one that he blessed, made holy, and he asked us not to forget. Are you with me? Something is wrong with this picture. Um, <clears throat> you know, I often hear people say, well, as long as you keep any Sabbath, uh, any seventh day, that can be your Sabbath. I have some problems with that. Uh, the first is this. Can unholy beings make something holy? That's illogical. Only a holy being can make something holy. And if you look at the commandment, the commandment does not say, it says right there, remember the Sabbath day, what's the next word? To keep it holy. It doesn't say to make it holy. He made it holy. He's asking us to do what? To keep it that way. Now, something else that's important here is that when Adam and Eve were created, they were created on the sixth day. If you agree with that, please say amen. amen. It was sixth day they were created. The next day was the Sabbath. So it was day two for them. It was not their Sabbath. It was God's Sabbath. It was His seventh day. God did not ask Adam and Eve to make a day holy. He asked them to keep what he made holy. Are you with me? Very, very important. <clears throat> Let's continue, number five. Of what two precious things did God say the Sabbath is a sign? This is interesting. Hey, when God says something's a sign, do you think maybe we ought to be paying attention? I mean, when you're traveling somewhere and you want to get there, don't you pay attention to the signs? Don't we all want to get to heaven? Yeah. Well, we're heading somewhere. Hey, when the Lord says there's a sign up ahead, don't you think that maybe we ought to be paying attention? Let's take a look at the signs. Exodus 31, 17 says, referring to the Sabbath, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. So the Sabbath is a reminder to us where we came from. Dear friends, I have good news for you. There are those who are teaching somewhere in the beginning there was nothing and it blew up. And then a planet emerged. And then a lightning bolt struck a mud puddle and we squirmed out. There is no truth in it. No, the Bible, a book from antiquity, gives to us our origins. It was by intelligent design. There was a creator who is relational, who created us for friendship with him. 
There was an intent. You know, I dare say that if the Sabbath had never been lost sight of, if this had been passed on to our children and to our children's children, there would not be an atheist today. There would be no theory of evolution today. By the way, it is a theory. No, my friends, the Sabbath, the first thing, is a reminder to us of where we came from. The next one, Ezekiel 20, 12, Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctifies them. This is very interesting. The Sabbath now becomes the sign of God's transforming power in your life and mine. Don't miss that. Remember that the whole plan of salvation is to restore in man what was lost through the fall in in Eden, is to restore his character in us. And under the New Testament covenant, remember the law is a transcript of his character, and in Hebrews 8.10 we're told that those laws are going to be written upon our and minds, meaning God's going to bring us into harmony with his law. That's under the provision of the new covenant. What we have just read here is the Sabbath is the sign for that. The Sabbath becomes the sign for that change. Why? You know, it's interesting to me, you know, we often say that the, the reason why God said remember is because he knew the world would forget. That is true. We're not going to argue that point. I submit to you there's something more to it, though. Didn't the world also forget the one about lying? Didn't it forget about about committing adultery or covetousness? Didn't it forget the one about stealing? Wouldn't it have been justified for God to say, remember, 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 the whole way down the list? But instead, he says, remember here. Why? Because the whole process of transformation in our lives is based on our relationship with God. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, we read that Paul said that it was by beholding that you and I become. The Sabbath is a special appointment. The Sabbath is a date with our Heavenly Father. And as we spend time with him, as we read about him in his word, as we we think about him and the lessons he has for us in creation, imperceptibly, by beholding, we are being changed. It was always interesting to me when I read the Bible, uh, the Old Testament, we, we read the story of the nation of Israel and how their relationship with God was a hot and cold thing. You know, they would come to the Lord, then they slip into apostasy, right? And when they were in apostasy and God would send the prophets to them, he would always call them back to the Sabbath. Yes, they were stealing. Yes, they were cheating. Yes, they were doing all this other stuff. But his, the main emphasis of the message was return to the Sabbath. Why? Because that's where you find the power to keep the other nine commandments. You find it in that relationship with God. By beholding, we become changed. You know, it's interesting, but on the Sabbath, as we go out into nature, do you realize that nature is actually the proof, the evidence that God can transform your life? And as you go out there, you think about that. What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, in the beginning, God said, let there be 
light. There was darkness before, and then he said, let there be light. And there was light. How do you do that? How do you bring light out of darkness? And then, um, in, then, then there, there was a, a, a measure of space, and there was nothing there, and then God put a planet there. How do you make something out of nothing? And yet the planet is here and light is there. The message is simple. God can bring light out of the darkness of my life. God can take this broken sinner and make him into a saint. So everything in nature communicates to us God's ability to transform us. He is not only the creator, but the transformer and redeemer as well. Let's take a look at number six. Which day did Jesus keep holy? This is a good one. Good question to ask, don't you think? Luke 4.16 says, So he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on what? The Sabbath day and stood up to read. It was his custom. What's another word for custom? Habit. It was his habit. This is what Jesus did. You know, I often have people come up to me and they ask me, why do you go to church on Saturday? And I say, well, because that's the day, I used to answer, that's the day Jesus went to church. Then I ask them, why do you go to church on Sunday? You know, God, Jesus is a master in getting us to think. And I've had many look me in the face and say, I don't know. No one ever asked me. We go to church the same day that Jesus goes to church. Number seven. <clears throat> what was Paul's custom regarding the Sabbath? Acts 18.4 says, and he reasoned in the synagogue, how often? Every Sabbath, and persuaded both Jews and who? Greeks and Gentiles. What we're finding here is that it was also Paul's custom. Why is that significant? Because he's after the cross. It was Paul's custom. You can search this book over, my friends, the Bible. You will never find the first day of the week referred to as Sabbath. Never. Not in God's word, you won't. It's just not there. But it was also Paul's custom. Well, some will say, well, that's because he was trying to reach the Jews, and they all went to church on Saturday. Really? Let's look at the next, the next uh, verse. Did the apostles also meet the Gentiles on the Sabbath? On the Sabbath? Acts 13.42 says, And when the Jews went out of the synagogue, and the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them, then, oh, excuse me. And when the Jews went out of the synagogue, let me pause there. How many Jews are left in the synagogue? Did you see that in the Bible? The Jews split. What had happened is that Paul and Barnabas had gone to Antioch. They went into the synagogue to preach Christ. Paul had a really bur real burden for his, for his nation. And, uh, so they, and so he went to preach to them. And uh, they didn't want to hear it. So they left. Who was left? The Gentiles. All right? Uh, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next what? The next Sabbath. Now, the Gentiles were all, the Jews were all gone. What a golden opportunity for Paul to say to the Gentiles, hey, you guys, the Sabbath has been changed. Why don't we meet next Sunday? Why don't we meet on the first day of the week? 
Paul didn't do that because Paul worshipped on the seventh-day Sabbath. And so these Gentiles were going to meet with Paul the following Sabbath. That was the day that the early church went to church. Just take a look at number nine. Did Jesus intend for his people to keep the Sabbath after he died for their sins? You know, let me ask a question. Does Jesus know the future? Yes. All right. So Jesus was giving a prophecy here that was going to be fulfilled in A.D. 70. Jesus was crucified A.D. 31. So this prophecy would be fulfilled 40 years later. And he's telling his people, he's giving them the signs, and you can study it out, I'm just, you know, fleshing it out here for you, but he tells them, when you see the Roman armies surround Jerusalem, know that that's the signal for you to split the scene. Then he says this to them in Matthew 24, 20, and pray that your flight may not be in, in winter. Let's pause right there. Hey, we can look outside and kind of guess why that one's important, Right? He says, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the... Isn't that amazing that even to... God is praying. He prayed that the day you have to flee for your life that it not be on the Sabbath. I want you to enjoy that day. Was Jesus expecting his followers 40 years later to be keeping the seventh-day Sabbath? Absolutely. He most assuredly was. Um, let's take a look at our next question here. Oh, no, no, wait. So here's the big question. How then did we lose the Sabbath? How do we get here? What I'm going to do is give you a quick overview. Then we're going to flesh it out a little more in Lesson 16. There is a book written by Samuel Bakayoki. I left it up here in case you have your little cameras. You want to write it down. It's entitled um, From Sabbath to Sunday, A Historical Investigation of the Rise of Sunday Observance in Early Christianity. Uh, This is really uh, an amazing book very scholarly. This is probably the best research that you will ever find on this subject. And uh, there's many reasons why this is very interesting, not only because of the subject matter, but also because Samuel Bakayoki, this is actually his doctoral dissertation. And he got it in the Pontifical College University of Rome. If you notice down here, these are the, these are the, th- this symbol right here uh, uh, is symbolic of the Vatican's approval. That's a very uh, prestigious seal. And that it's on his book is really amazing. The, the Catholic Church approved the scholarship of this book. But in here, he shares the history. I'll just touch on some things, and then we'll flash it out more on the, when we get to Revelation uh, or, or Lesson 16. In the first century after Christ, the early church kept the seventh-day Sabbath. No issues there. As we enter into the second century, a problem arises in Rome. Hadrian, who was the Roman emperor, uh, had a real problem with the Jews. And so persecution broke out in uh, the kingdom, most intensely there in Rome against Jews. Now, one of the quick and easy ways to identify a Jew was by the way he worshipped, which was on the Sabbath. Well, this brought problems on the Christians who were also keeping the Sabbath. They were being mistaken as Jews. So in an effort to throw off suspicion, they began to celebrate the resurrection of Christ on Sunday because they knew the Jews wouldn't do that, and that would throw off suspicion. 
And so from the 2nd century, 3rd century, and 4th century in Rome, they were keeping both Sabbath and Sunday. Okay? But over time, Sabbath began to lose its sanctity in Rome. And uh, they, the, then the, 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 the bishop of Rome then uh, uh, issued that it should be a day of fasting and that the Sunday, the resurrection of Christ, would be a day of celebration. And by the time you get to the end of the 4th century, the Sabbath is forgotten in Rome. And that really comes in uh, by way of the Emperor Constantine. Constantine was a pagan. Don't miss this. Constantine was pagan. He was a sun worshiper. Uh, Constantine, however, was a brilliant politician. And he had enemies on the frontier. And his nation really was divided between pagans and Christians. He needed to unite his kingdom. And being the brilliant politician that he was, he tried to figure out a way that he could reunite both. So he marched his troops out to the river. They all marched through it, and he informed them they were all now baptized and that they were Christians. He claimed now to, to be, and that wasn't an exaggeration, by the way. He marched them through, and he told them they were baptized. And what they did is that they changed the name of their pagan rites and whatnot and gave them Christian names. And so what he was seeking to do was combine paganism with Christianity. One of the areas that was a point of contact was Sunday because sun worshipers worshiped on Sunday and in Rome, they had already switched over. So that became a point of contact. We will reference this later when we get to verse 16. But in essence, later in history, when Rome rises, not only to religious power, but to political power, her influence then began to spread throughout the empire. And with that spread came the change from Saturday to Sunday. I just gave it to you in a nutshell. Do your research. You'll find it there. Bakayoki's book goes into incredible detail. But when we get to lesson 16, we will flesh this out even more. Let's take a look at number 10. Does the Bible teach that God's end-time people will keep his seventh-day Sabbath holy? This is very important now because now we're switching to Revelation. We're talking about the book that references the events of the last days. And in Revelation 17, 12, it says, And the dragon, who is that a symbol of? Satan was enraged with the woman. What's that a symbol of? The church. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. Here's a description of them. Who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So in the last days, the devil is not angry with the world. He can care less what your political preference is. There's only one group he's angry with, and it's a group that keeps the commandments of God. Now, how much of those commandments are to be kept? Let's open our Bibles to the book of James. James chapter 2. James, uh, we've referenced him earlier, and I mentioned to you that James, this James, was actually the brother of Jesus. He was very highly esteemed in the early church. Um, and James's book is an interesting book. Uh, what James is to the New Testament, Proverbs is to the Old Testament. It is a book of wisdom. J what motivates James' writing is that in his day, there were people preaching that you can break the law and everything be okay. Okay, we, we refer to that today as cheap grace. And James preaches against this. Um, 
in fact, so strongly that it really messed up Martin Luther later on. But in James, uh, and I'm not going to go in, uh, maybe we should. Let's pick up in verse 8. If you really fulfill, chapter 2, verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law yet stumble in, how many points? Is guilty of how many? So I remember the first time I came across that, I remember thinking to myself, Lord, really? You break one, you've broken all? And I was talking to a friend of mine, a very godly man, and he said to me, George, on how many points must a man rebel against God before God will call it rebellion? One. It's, it's a composite. It's holistic, the law. God is not conflicted. So, so if one is broken, it's like a chain. If you have a chain and you're pulling something and one, one link breaks, saying, well, the rest of them are good, that doesn't, it doesn't work. If one, one link breaks, the entire chain has been compromised. And that's the idea that James is, is bringing to our minds here. Dear, dear friends, the bottom line is this. There is no such thing as 90% compliance. That's like being 90% pregnant. You either are pregnant or you're not pregnant, but there's no 90% pregnant. You're either loyal to God or you're not. There's no such thing as 90% compliance. It does not exist. Let's take a look at our next one, Revelation 14.12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep what? The commandments of God have the faith of Jesus. By the way, what you're seeing there is an unveiling. Here are they. There's going to be a generation, friends, that's going to get this. That's going to believe that God can write the laws on our hearts and minds. And they're going to, it's going to be an unveiling before the universe. Here are they. We're going to get into that some more. Um, let's take a look at Revelation 22:14. This one's really interesting. because this one announces a blessing. Blessed are those who do his, what? Commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. How many of the commandments? All of them. So did you notice here, this is Revelation, this is the last book. Those who have access to the tree, who have a right to the tree to enter into those Pearly gates are the ones who recognize and make the the, the choice to submit to God's authority and yield to the law of love. Because the law is a law of love. Is this making sense? It's very interesting. Three times in the book of Revelation, God is bringing to our attention the role that the law is going to have in the last days. And more specifically, the flashpoint is going to be the Sabbath. We'll see that in our later study. Let's take a look at number 11. Will all of the saved keep the Sabbath on the earth made new? This is a good question, don't you think? I remember one day I was working, uh, when I was living in North Carolina, uh, God gave me the privilege of working on an island resort. And it was called Bald Head Island. And um, the moment I got to the, you, had to, you can only access it by boat. The moment I stepped foot on the boat, which was my transportation, 
I was on the clock. I clocked in. So it was a 40-minute 40, 40 hour uh, trip to the island and then an hour back. And uh, it was such a neat ride. I loved the ocean. I got to see the most beautiful... Oh, I can just go off here. Anyway, along the way, I had opportunities to witness to people. And there was this one gal that uh, we got to talking about and she started witnessing to me and I thought it was kind of cool so I just kind of let her go and, and so she started sharing Bible with me and, and, uh, and so we, we ended up having Bible studies. Well, after a while of working here, we came upon the Sabbath. Oh, brother, the brakes <laughs> came out. <clears throat> and um, I finally, I, I realized she was resisting everything. <laughs> I finally said to her, you know, I want to ask you a question. Did Jesus keep the Sabbath? She said, yes. I said, if it could be proven in Scripture that when we get to the earth made new, that we're going to be keeping the Sabbath then, wouldn't it make sense that we would be keeping it now? And she thought about it. She said, yes. I said, so what you're saying then is if I could show you a text from the Bible that says that we're going to be keeping the Sabbath on the earth made new, then you're saying that, um, that we, it's obvious then we should be keeping it now. She said, yeah. And I said, okay, let's turn to Isaiah 66. And Isaiah 66, of course, is, is, is Isaiah talking about the hope that we all have, brothers and sisters. A better day is coming. In Isaiah 66, 22 and 23, it says, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath, to another, all flesh will come to worship before me, says the Lord of hosts. I looked up at her, and she crossed her arms and leaned back. You know, brothers and sisters, we're either going to yield to the evidence of Scripture, or we're going to yield to the preacher, or to my job, or to my popularity, or we're going to yield to something. We're going to yield to something. But she saw the evidence, she refused to yield to it. And by the way, did you notice here that it said all flesh will come to worship before me on the Sabbath. It didn't say all Jews. Did you catch that? The redeemed of all ages will be keeping the Sabbath when we get to the earth made new and God's people will be keeping it now. Let's take a look at number 12. Can we be certain that the present seventh day of the week, Saturday, is the same Sabbath that Jesus kept holy? I always find this question kind of comical. I'll tell you why. You know, um, come Easter, you know, and I know we have some Catholic, good Catholics here, ex-Catholics. Come Easter, what is Friday called? Good Friday. That was the day that Jesus gave his life up on the cross, right? Have you ever heard anybody say, hey, are we sure that this is the right Friday? Yeah, yeah, did, did we sure it's Friday? You ever hear people say that? Uh, now, um, on Sunday morning, Sunday morning, what did Jesus do? He resurrected. And everybody celebrates Easter on that day, right? Have you ever heard anybody say, hey, is this the right Sunday? Nobody. But the moment you mention Sabbath, suddenly everybody gets squirrely. Hey, how do we know this is the right Sabbath? Hey, if we got Friday right, and we got Sunday right, dear friend, you got Sabbath right. That's, this isn't difficult. By the way, Jesus dies on Friday. He resurrects. On Sunday, what was he doing on the Sabbath? He kept the Sabbath even there. It's, it's, it's interesting 
that, um, that if you, you know, if, if you look at astronomers or archaeologists or Jews, they will all tell you that the day we call Saturday today is the day Jesus called Sabbath then. This isn't, this isn't rocket science. This is not difficult. I do want to bring your attention to something, though, that's very interesting here. If you open your Bibles to Luke 23. Luke chapter 23. Luke is a melancholy. Luke was a Gentile. He was a physician, but he was a melancholy. How, what makes you say that, Pastor? Luke was very concerned about detail and sequence. And you see that in his book. In his, in his book. Luke 23, and we're going to go to the sequence here of, uh, of what happened after the death of Christ that we need to follow very carefully. So Luke uh, 23, and I'm going to pick up <clears throat> in verse 52. What's happening here is that Joseph of Arimathea uh, has approached Pilate and has asked for the body of Christ. Uh, now watch the sequence here, very important. Uh, verse 52, this man, talking about Joseph of Arimathea, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the what? Okay, what is that day? It's Friday. And the Sabbath drew near. So it wasn't quite Sabbath yet. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb, how his body was laid, verse 56. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to what? The commandment. If Jesus had taught his disciples that after his death the day would be changed, somehow they didn't get the memo. They didn't. And by the way, it's not possible to change it after his resurrection. Why? Because it was the death of Christ that brings into effect the new covenant. So you know when a person dies, Paul, if you want to see this, you can put a reference here, Hebrews chapter 9. Paul references this. That when a person dies, that's when the will and testament kick into effect. And he uses that expression, the testament. Okay? While the person's alive, the testament doesn't come into effect. When they die, it goes into effect. Once they die, can you change a will? No. At that juncture, it goes into effect. When Jesus gives his life as the Lamb of God for the world, at that juncture, the new covenant goes into effect. You cannot change it now. So his disciples kept the seventh-day Sabbath according to the commandment because a change was not made. It was the same. Does that make sense? By the way, did you notice they didn't even embalm Jesus' body on the Sabbath? Take a look at uh, uh, chapter 24, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, what day is that? See, day one. First day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. They came to embalm him. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? amen. He is a risen Savior. Amen. He is a risen Savior. But this is very, very interesting and very important. You know, when I, when I you know, this last night, 
I was thinking of this incident. When we were, when we were Catholic, we were attending the church the, of the, the Holy um, Family there in Glendale, California. Um, man, I got on the internet and, and see if I could find the church. Sure enough, there was pictures. All those images came back to my mind. I remember as a child going in there. Um, my brother was going through confirmation, and this was a real big thing for him. This was very affirming to him. And when my mother started to go to church in the Protestant church on Saturday, this really messed him up because he saw it as, as him being robbed of something that was important to him. Are you with me? So my mother, being very sensitive to this, would take us to church twice a, twice a week, every Saturday, every Sunday, uh, for my brother. But this still didn't satisfy him, and he was very, very upset. And uh, I remember he, he got me, and he took me, and I can still see it in my mind. I, I almost want to go back just to see where this conversation took place. But I remember there being a stairwell. I was standing on it. My brother was at the landing, and the priest was there. And my brother asked him the question, what day is the Sabbath? And the priest said something. I don't remember what he said. All I know is it didn't satisfy my brother because when he was done, my brother asked again, what day is the Sabbath? The priest again said something. And when he was done, my brother was still not satisfied and he asked again, what day is the Sabbath? And the priest finally said, it's Saturday. And it wasn't long after that that my brother actually went into the world of drugs and alcohol. I think it just put him in overload. It was a disappointment, but I praise God he's back from all that by God's grace. But I want to show you some quotes. Now, I restrained myself. I hope we can see it well. I could have overloaded you, but I'm going to give you like, I think it's like six or seven or eight. I don't remember now, but here they are. This is from a Congregationalist. This is a denomination, Congregationalist. Dr. R. W. Dale wrote a book on the Ten Commandments. This is a quote from page 127, 129. It says this, It is quite clear that however rigidly or devoted we may spend Sunday, we are not keeping the Sabbath. The Sabbath was founded on a specific divine command. We can plead no such command for the obligation to observe Sunday. There is not a single sentence in the New Testament to suggest that we incur any penalty by violating the supposed sanctity of Sunday. Here's another one. This uh, Anglican Episcopalian, it depends on which continent you are, it's the same denomination, Isaac Williams, Plain Sermons on the Catechism, Volume 1, page 334-336. He writes, And where are we told in the Scriptures that we are to keep the first day at all? We are commanded to keep the seventh, but we are nowhere commanded to keep the first day. The reason why we keep the first day of the week holy instead of the seventh is for the same reason we observe many other things, not because the Bible, but because the church has enjoined it. God did not command it. This is something that came from man. Here's another one. Timothy Dwight, a book entitled Theology Explained and Defended, 1829. He writes, the Christian Sabbath, Sunday, is not in the scriptures and was not by the primitive church called the Sabbath. So the primitive church, the church of the apostles, called that day the first day of the week and called the seventh day Sabbath. Interesting admission. Here's another one. This one's really interesting. The book is entitled First Day Observance, page 1719. The first day of the week is commonly called the Sabbath. This is a mistake. 
The Sabbath of the Bible was the day just preceding the first day of the week. The first day of the week is never called the Sabbath anywhere in the entire scriptures. It is also an error to talk about the change of the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. There is not in any place in the Bible any, any intimation of such a change. Any questions? This one's Lutheran, The Sunday Problem, a study book of the United Lutheran Church, 1923. We have seen how gradually the impression of the Jewish Sabbath, really? Is it the Jewish Sabbath? No. We have seen how gradually the impression of the Jewish Sabbath faded from the mind of the Christian church. Here's an admission that the early church kept it. And how completely the newer thought underlying the observance of the first day took possession of the church. We have seen that the Christians of the first three centuries never confused one with the other, but for a time celebrated both. And we talked about that, didn't we, because of the persecution. Uh, Dr. Augustus Neander, The History of the Christian Religion, 1843. The festival of Sunday, like other festivals, was always only a human ordinance. And it was far from the intention of the apostles to establish a divine command in this respect. Far from them and from the early apostolic church to transfer the laws of the Sabbath to Sunday. Isn't that interesting? Here's another one. This one's going to surprise you. Dwight L. Moody. Wade and Wanting. The name of the book. He says, the Sabbath was binding in Eden. And it has been in force ever since. This fourth commandment begins with the word remember, showing that the Sabbath already existed when God wrote the law on the tablets of stone at Sinai. How can men claim that this one commandment has been done away with when they will admit that the other nine are still binding? That's a good question. So you ask yourself, why didn't he keep it? He did. I've read the biography of uh, Brother Moody, and Moody's day off was Saturday. Very interesting. Presbyterian, T.C. Blake, uh, uh, Doctor in Divinity, a book entitled Theology Condensed. The Sabbath is a part of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. This alone forever settles the question as to the perpetuity of the institution. Until, therefore, it can be shown that the whole moral law has been repealed, the Sabbath will stand. The teaching of Christ confirms the perpetuity of the Sabbath. By the way, all these writers are not Sabbath keepers, except for Moody. Interesting. So, and, 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 I, and I could have just, we could have been going through one after another after another. Brothers and sisters, the seventh day is the Sabbath. Number 13, does God allow anyone to change his holy day? Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6 says, Every word of God is what? Pure. Do not to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a... The sad reality is, however, that misguided men have changed God's law. And we've got to put it back where it belongs. Traditions of men do not override the word of God. Hey, let's take a look at a text. Open your Bible. This one's kind of uh, strong, but let's look at it. And it's a book of Mark, chapter 7. (coughs) 
book of Mark, chapter 7. All right, uh, now you're going to notice that the letters are in red, signifying what? Okay, this is pretty strong stuff, so don't get mad at the preacher. Take a look, uh, verse 6 and 7. He, being Jesus, answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. And in vain they worship me. Wait a second. In vain? What does that mean? It's a waste. It's a waste. In vain. It's wasted worship. It's not acceptable unto God. In vain they worship me. Why? Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Take a look at verse 9. And he said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your traditions. We have a choice to make, friends, don't we? We have a choice to make. Uh, I am number, what, 14. When does the Sabbath begin and end? I remember this one kind of messed me up. I tried to wrap my mind around this because it's so different from our culture. Genesis 1-5 says, this is creation week, and after each day of creation, we find these words, and the evening and the morning were what? First day. What is this telling us? You know, in our culture, in our culture, um, the new day begins when? At midnight. At midnight, and the next day begins. God reckons it differently. God doesn't do it that way. God says that the moment the sun sets, the new day has begun. So right now is the Sabbath hours. The Sabbath ends when the sun is set. Does that make sense? You know, in our home, in my home, as the Sabbath is coming, what I like to do in preparing for the Sabbath is I like to have my clothes out that I'm going to wear. You know, I, I do everything I can to, uh, to, to avoid what I call the Sabbath shuffle. Where are my shoes? I thought my shoes were right here. See, if you take care of that on preparation day, then you don't go through the stress on the day of rest. So I get my stuff out so it's all ready. The other thing I like is to have everything done 30 minutes um, before the Sabbath falls down. You know, not, don't do the countdown. How many minutes do I have left? And you're still racing around the house. No, no, shoot 30 minutes before. Get everything done so you can just ease into those Sabbath hours in peace. But these are some of the things that we like to do. Something else I like to do, I like to have music playing in the home on the Sabbath. And I've shared with you abiding radio. Oh, I love having a babe playing abiding radio. You get that on the internet, play in the house, you know, and whatever you want to play. But I like to hear and begin to fill the house with the atmosphere of God's presence. Take a look at number 15. But it begins at sundown, ends at sundown. By the way, if you're new at this, if you, have, if you see somebody around you, invite them to your home next Friday night so they can see what it's like to receive the Sabbath if you've never kept a Sabbath before. And uh, it's, it's a real joy. You know, in our home, in fact, we made Sabbath special for our children, and we asked them to eat whatever they want, whatever you want. And they always wanted pancakes. So those of you who are into the health message will probably meet me at the door, but we tried to make them healthy. <laughs> but we wanted Sabbath to be special for them. 
And so, and so that's what they, we would have oftentimes for an evening meal would be breakfast. And the kids absolutely loved it. We wanted to be special for them. Okay, number uh, 15. <clears throat> what day is the Lord's Day of Revelation 1.10? How many of you have heard that expression, the Lord's Day? Many times when that expression is used, it is used to describe Sunday. Uh, I'll give you a million bucks if you can find in the scriptures Sunday referred to as the Lord's Day. I'm walking out of here with my cash. Okay, I don't have a million dollars, but but if I did, I'm walking out with my cash. It's not there. It's not there. And in, and, and, and in, in, in Revelation 1.10, John is in vision on the Lord's day, he says. What he was saying is he was in vision on the Sabbath. How do we know? Watch what day is the Lord's. Exodus 20.10 says, but the seventh day is the what? As the Sabbath of the Lord your God. By the way, it's not your Sabbath. It's not my Sabbath. It's his Sabbath. Okay, it's the Sabbath of the Lord. It's the Lord's day, my friend. Isaiah 58.13 says, if you turn away your foot from the from doing your pleasure on my holy day. Oh, whose day is it? It's his day. He says, don't do your pleasure. By the way, I want to talk about this for a moment. God has given you and I six days. He says, take care of your business. Do what you need to do. I've given you those six days. But this day, the seventh is my day. It's our date together. We're going to spend time together. You ever talked on the phone with somebody who you knew was watching either their computer screen or something on TV? Did you enjoy that? You just want to do what? Because they're divided in their attention. God says on this day, I want your attention undivided. Hey, how cool is that? That the monarch of the universe, your father, wants to spend that kind of time with you. Really? Is that awesome? Can you say amen? That's amazing to know that the monarch of the universe, my father, wants to spend that kind of time. So he tells us to kind of shut those things out that are going to draw our minds away. Let's open our Bibles. I want to show you something. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to take a look at what Sam, Samantha re- read to us earlier today, and that's the fourth commandment. We're going to take a clear, careful look at it. Exodus chapter 20. And uh, I'm going to pick up in verse 8. If you're there, say amen. amen. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Okay? So he tells, here's the command. Keep it holy. Now he's going to explain it. Six days you shall labor. What's another word for labor? Work. work. And do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger within your gates. Everybody gets that day off, even your pets. Isn't that amazing? Is God serious? I want to ask you a question. When we work, are we supposed to work for the glory and honor of God? Is everything I'm supposed to do to bring him glory? Am I to do my best for God? But am I to do that on the Sabbath? No. He said no. No work. And what, he's, what God is talking about here is secular work. The work that you and I must do to make a living, to pay the bills. Are you with me? 
the, the things that could be done during the six days, he asked us, take care of them then. But on this day, I want your undivided to spend with me. This is not a day for work. So our loyalty is revealed in obedience. By making the choice not to work. And you know, for many of us, it's a test of faith. Am I going to trust God to take care of me or not? But brothers and sisters, it is a test of loyalty. The Sabbath is a test. We're going to find out it's a test that's going to come upon all the world very, very soon. You know, it's very interesting, but the only perfect example that we have in the Bible of obeying the law is Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible said that um, he fulfilled the law. He is a living demonstration of keeping the law. Jesus was a carpenter. Do you think when he worked for six days, he did his very best for, the, for his father? But do you think he worked on the Sabbath? No. But now the work was secular. Was Jesus busy on Sabbath? So if I want to know, now listen to me, don't miss this. Because we're really good, we're really good at weaseling around stuff. And the congregation said, that's right. We're really good at that. Let's be honest. If we really want to understand how to obey and keep the Sabbath, your only perfect example is the Lord Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do on the Sabbath? Did he work? Did he do secular work? No. Jesus went around healing people. Jesus went helping people in need. Something that couldn't be, something that had to be done that day for somebody, Jesus was on it. Jesus preached. So that tells me that the ministry of healing and preaching, if you're going to work, that's appropriate. But did Jesus do it for a paycheck? No. I know many people in the medical field that when they work on the Sabbath, because they have to, they donate those funds to the Lord. There are many people out there, aren't you glad that the EMTs are out there on the Sabbath? Aren't you glad the ambulance guys are out there to scrape us off the pavement if something happens? We need people out there like that. Isn't that right? They're in need in society. But... But, but that's some of the things some of the medical people do. My wife, so, so honey, I hope you don't mind. It's too late now. They're all staring at me. <laughs> My wife is an occupational therapist. And she is asked to work on the Sabbath. She will not do it because she is on the conviction that her job is not a matter of life and death. She will not do it. She won't take it. And so, so there are medical people out there that, that do stuff like that, and we could be thankful but that is the ministry that Christ entered into on the Sabbath. All right, let's take a look at number 16. What blessing is promised by the Sabbath commandment? Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Shabbat, that's the word. It's rest. You know, there's actually a spiritual connotation here. You see... Jesus died on the cross for you and I, and he's ministering to us. You and I are to rest in his work. You and I cannot work ourselves to heaven. We have to rest, Shabbat, in the work of Christ. There is a spiritual salvation connotation here. 
The rest here referring to is resting. So, so the Sabbath now not only becomes a symbol of creation, but also of redemption as well. And of course, there's um, Hebrews 4, 5, if they shall enter my, my rest. You know, the Sabbath is supercharged with God's presence. It's different than any other day. You know, when I was young, and I started my journey back to God. Actually, I share with you, I started Catholic, then we became Seventh-day Adventist, and then I went pagan. <laughs> Sad to say. And then later I came back to the Lord. And as I started to study the Sabbath, I really wanted to settle this in my mind. I knew my mother believed it, but I, I needed to be convinced. How can the whole world be wrong and this little group be right? And when I studied the Bible, it was evident, and I was really upset about that because all the good college games were on Sunday, I mean on Saturday. And, uh, and I really wrestled with it. I'm just being upfront with you. I really wrestled with this. I didn't want to give up uh, my games. But I had to choose, make a choice as to what was going to be my God, what I was going to worship. And I finally made the decision that I was going to worship the God of heaven. And so I gave up watching the games, and I began to spend time with God. And it didn't take long that I forgot those games. What a blessing to spend time with God. What refreshing, an oasis in time. If you've never kept the Sabbath, my friend, I encourage you to do it, do it today. Let's take a look here uh, uh, at our final response question. Because Jesus created the Sabbath for our blessing and has given it as a sign of his power to create and transform us, would you like to follow in his footsteps and experience the blessing our loving Lord gives his followers that keep it in his honor? How many of you say yes to that? I'm going to make an appeal. I'm going to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye closed. There's someone in this room who has really been struggling over this. They know that the Sabbath is the seventh day. And they know that God asks for them not to work. And this morning they were challenged with the reality that they have to make a decision. And so, dear friend, will you trust Jesus to take care of you? Are you willing to be faithful to him? If so, will you raise your hand at this time? Amen, amen, and amen. You can lower your hands. Father in heaven, you saw the hands here today. Father, I, I thank you. You brought each of us here to hear this message, but I pray especially for these dear souls that their faith will not falter. Father, that you will open the windows of heaven and pour upon them your blessing. That, Lord, you will work this out for them, and we know you have a thousand ways of providing of which we know nothing. And, Lord, we know you're preparing us, not only for heaven, but for the crisis that's about to break upon the world over this issue. We know, Lord, that he who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. And as we make the choice to be faithful to you today, we will be ready for the crisis when it comes. We thank you for this, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com dot org.